Good morning. morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. I hope some of you were able to enjoy the fireworks last night. They ended at Keller just in time. And if you were there, you know, literally, if they'd gone five more seconds, uh, it would have been too late because the rain was was coming. Um, Ruth chapter 2, bulletin says verses 1 through 23. I'm actually going to cut it off today at verse 16. Uh, I've explained this before, but sometimes I just get to a certain point where I think, that's a sermon. And uh, I, I feel like it can go too long. Uh, Also, several people who normally come on Sunday nights have mentioned that they can't come this evening. And so we'll just hold off tonight for the Sunday night Bible study. Um, It's a holiday weekend, and so uh, I know some people have activities going on and enjoy those. And between today and tomorrow and Tuesday, I hope everybody can uh, enjoy the 4th of July, and it's a a great day to celebrate. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi with who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and She continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose again to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her and also pulled out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and once again that we can be together to worship your great name. Lord, we praise you that this week we got some much needed rain in this area, Lord, and we rejoice in that. Lord, we thank you for this this week. And again, we thank you that we live in in a great nation and a free country, and Lord, let us not take that for granted. Let us celebrate that. Lord, we want to pray 
and mourn, Lord, the loss of two young people from Paxton this week, Keegan and Joe, Lord, taken so suddenly and so early in life. Lord, we pray for their family and for their friends, Lord. It's a terrible thing when a young person dies, and Lord, we just pray for all of those personally touched and impacted by that, Lord, for your nearness and grace in a time of sorrow and mourning. Lord, we continue to pray for people who are recovering. We pray for Ron Yergler. We thank you for the update on how he's doing. And Lord, may we continue to be faithful in praying for him, Lord, praying for his recovery. And Lord, we pray for that for Mary Merkel as well. And Lord, we also pray for Josh Hall, his last Sunday with us before going on his summer mission trip. Lord, we pray for safe travels. Lord, we pray that the name of Jesus be lifted up high, that the gospel be boldly proclaimed. Lord, we pray for Josh and everyone he's traveling with, Lord for their time together, and again, Lord, for, for safety, for fruitfulness in their ministering. Lord, we pray for our time today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For Sean, it looked like a bad situation. He had traveled to Minnesota to hang out with a friend, but then one night there was a fight, and one of the guys in the group was beaten up. The next evening, Sean and his buddies went out to avenge what happened. They took baseball bats to an apartment and a melee ensued. No one died, fortunately, but in all of that chaos, a boy was seriously injured, though not by Sean. Since Sean was from out of town and he hadn't known all of the guys who were with him, in the aftermath, he was actually the only one who went to trial. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison for his involvement. One day, Sean had a visitor, a man named Dave. He was a clinical psychologist and had been one of the jurors who had sent Sean to prison. He'd wanted to see how the young man was doing. He'd driven four hours just to see him. Dave started, to come, Dave started coming to see Sean regularly, making the four-hour drive once a month. They'd talk about life, about plans for the future, and about faith. Sean would later say, he showed me the peace of someone who was close to God, but in everything he did and said, he was gentle. Because he shared Christ's love with me consistently through the years, I began to open up more to the Lord. Sean would go on to place his faith in Jesus. But then, after seven years, Dave's visits abruptly stopped. Sean got a call from Dave's wife. He had been diagnosed with cancer and didn't have much longer to live. A few weeks later, Sean was able to call Dave and talk to the man who had mentored him, who had befriended him, who had faithfully visited him, who had led him to faith. And in that last conversation, Sean thanked Dave for everything he had done for him. Dave died not long after. A year later, Sean was released from prison after only eight years, released early for good behavior. It could have been easy to have written Sean off, but Dave had gone out of his way to show, show grace and love. We're continuing in our series through the book of Ruth this morning, and in today's passage, We'll meet a man named Boaz who could have similarly written Ruth off or been unkind. But we'll see how the grace and generosity that he shows Ruth is meant to point us to how we're supposed to treat our neighbor. It's also ultimately meant to point us to the great Savior who loved his world enough to provide a way for fallen people to know the redemption and grace that only Jesus can truly give. The main idea of this week's passage is that Christians should love those the world struggles to love. And we'll look at our passage today in two scenes. We come to our first scene and see a needy harvester. Now, it's relevant to begin this week's passage 
with where last week's passage ended. After Ruth and Naomi have lost their husbands, they've left Moab and come to Israel. As a reminder, Naomi is an Israelite, but Ruth was not. And so chapter 1 ends by saying, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so chapter 1 ends by giving us a connection to the time of year. For people who have left a land in a time of drought and hardship, they're arriving in Israel at just the right time. And so with all the difficulties of chapter 1, the chapter leaves the door open for why there is still hope. And we come to chapter 2, verse 1, and it'll introduce us to the last major character in the book of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. What this verse does for Boaz is it establishes a connection between Boaz and Naomi's deceased husband. They're from the same clan. Now, what does that mean? So the Israelites are divided into 12 tribes. But these tribes are big units. So a narrower division within the tribe was the clan, which were several families that proceeded from a common ancestor. And so Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And this blood relationship between Boaz and the deceased Elimelech will matter later in this story. Lord willing, we'll see more about that next week. This verse says that Boaz was a worthy man. In this context, that most likely means he was pretty rich, at least rich by ancient Israelite standards. And so he's been introduced, and he'll be relevant to the passage, but in verse 2, the writer switches away from him. Verse 2 into the first part of verse 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So they've recently arrived in Israel at the time of harvest, and Ruth says that she's going to glean in the fields. You might be wondering, what's gleaning? In Israel, at harvest time, reapers would come through and harvest the farmland. For something like barley, which is a grain, sometimes they'd miss a stalk. Those unharvested stalks were meant to be left for people in need. It would still be a pretty meager ration. One commentator compared it to earning your living through collecting pop cans and selling those. Deuteronomy 24:19 says, "When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." Furthermore, the law of the Old Testament also forbade harvesting up to the edge of the field in order to leave a little bit of a perimeter for the poorest people in Israelite society to be able to get some food. So Ruth heads out to the fields, but which field does she go to? End of verse 3. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. It's reminding us that Boaz and Elimelech are related. Again, I won't have a whole lot more to say on that subject today, but this continues to become more and more relevant in this story. 
The passage says that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That's what the ESV says. In the Hebrew, it is more literally saying she chanced to chance upon the field belonging to Boaz. And that's meant to clearly indicate that it's not by chance. It's providential. She didn't know it at the time. We so often don't recognize moments of great significance in our lives at the time. But it's all working to God's plan. Because it's no exaggeration to say that Ruth going to that field would change her life and the future of Israel forever. Verse 4, Boaz, who was mentioned at the beginning of the passage by reputation, enters the story. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. I love that little exchange between Boaz and the reapers. And we continue to see the hand of divine providence at work as Boaz happens to come to the field at just the right time when Ruth is there. Ruth catches Boaz's eye. He knows she's not one of his workers, and so he asks about her in verse 5. Picking back up in verse 6, And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Word had gotten around about Ruth and what she's done for her mother-in-law. We learned from the foreman that Ruth had asked to glean in the field, and also that she's been working diligently. We come to our second scene. We see Ruth and Boaz interact, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. It seems like it was customary at the time for somebody who needed to glean to go from field to field. But Boaz insists that Ruth stay in his fields. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I mentioned earlier that the Old Testament had provisions for gleaning. But that doesn't mean that it was always followed perfectly. We have laws now. We have things we're supposed to do. And those things do not always get followed perfectly. I'm sure from one landowner to another, there is some variation. We see great generosity from Boaz. I'm sure that's what some people would have found. But it's probably a mistake to think that these people who came to glean never faced poor treatment or ridicule or scorn or even assault. Consider Ruth. She's a poor, unmarried foreigner. If one of Boaz's men had done something to her, she basically has no rights or recourse. Which is why it matters that Boaz has insisted to Ruth that he's told his men not to touch her. In other places in the Old Testament, when the command not to touch someone is given, it refers either to violence or sexual relations. It might also imply that people were not always necessarily safe in Boaz's fields, but he has special concern for Ruth. So while the Old Testament permitted that people be able to glean in the fields, something that we'll continue to see is that Boaz is actually going above and beyond. He says that she can help herself to refreshment, something he didn't have to provide. 
And he's also allowing Ruth to walk right behind the reapers, which puts her in a better position to gather more food. It might sound small, but again, for this poor Moabite widow who's moved to Israel with her mother-in-law in desperation, we see a turn of favor. When you have nothing, being given more than you asked for is a lot. Verses 10 through 12, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz knows what Ruth has gone through and the sacrifices she's made to be with her mother-in-law. Now, most of us hopefully know the end of the story or know what happens between Ruth and Boaz in the long run is that ultimately the two of them get married. What we don't know at this point in the story is Boaz's exact motivation here. Is he being so nice to Ruth because he's just nice to everyone? Is it because he has an interest in Ruth? Is he being extra nice merely because of his goodwill to Ruth for how she's treated Naomi? We don't know for sure what his thinking is at this time. Verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. First thing Ruth probably feels is relief. We see Boaz's continued benevolence and goodwill. Verse 14, a little bit of time has passed by. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And now at this point, Boaz has really gone beyond the customs of the day. Not only does Ruth have enough food to eat, but she actually has some left over to take home. I think that can probably be lost on many of us because we have so much abundance and blessing in our society. And so I just don't know if it resonates with us the way it would with people in different cultures or at different times in history that so much of your effort and energy and time was devoted just to having enough food to eat and here we see Boaz giving Ruth more than enough. Verses 15 and 16. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz is now making the work for Ruth even easier. Essentially, he's allowing Ruth to take what she wants. And once again, he tells his men not to give her a hard time for what she's doing. He continues to bless Ruth. I think of other passages in the Bible when people are interacting with outsiders, and really, there are many. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a radical picture of the love we're called to have for our neighbor. The Samaritans were, and still are, an ethnic group who were basically half Israelite. But the fact that they were not full-blooded Israelites caused a lot of scorn for them from the Israelites. 
And so part of the radicalism when Jesus gave that parable is that he picked the group who he knew would have been the hardest group for his disciples to love. In John 4, we see Jesus interact with a woman at a well. Not coincidentally, she's also a Samaritan. The disciples, when they see this, are less than enthused. When they come up to Jesus and see him with this woman, the passage says that they marveled, but no one had the courage to ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? You see, other groups who were outcasts in Jesus' day. One of the disciples was Matthew, a tax collector. The Jewish people viewed tax collectors as traitors. I think of how much in our day we struggle to interact with people who happen to have different political beliefs. Tax collectors, though, were truly hated, hated by the Israelites. They were people who took money from the Jewish people to pay taxes to Rome. Again, looked at as national traitors. People with leprosy were outcasts in that society. It's a contagious disease. Most people wanted nothing to do with them. Jesus touches them. Jesus shows them kindness and compassion. Probably the only person in their lives to do that. And so we have these stories. We have these groups who were avoided or outright hated. For us, those aren't the groups we're interacting with. And it's so easy to think that we'd treat those people well because we'll never actually have to interact with any of these types of people. And so the question to ask as we see the compassion that Boaz shows to Ruth should be, who are the groups who are hard to love? And for some of us, the answer to that probably varies a little bit, even depending on what age you are and what generation you grew up in. I remember after 9-11, there was so much animosity towards Muslims in this country. Be honest. If you go into town this week and you're in Champaign and you're at a restaurant or the grocery store, and there's a woman in front of you in line wearing a hijab. Are you going to give her the time of day? Ruth was an outsider in Israel. She's a Moabite. How do you view the immigrant? The Bible has much to say about how we treat the immigrant, the sojourner, the foreigner. In our modern world, there are other groups of people who have social stigmas. People who have struggled with addiction. People who have committed felonies, been to prison. Are we treating them with grace? Are we seeking out ways to show love and compassion? Because there's no limit to the number of things that people can find to divide themselves over, to make someone else an outsider over, to judge someone over. And it's all around us. It's how so much of our world is. But as Christians, we worship a Savior who accepts us as we are. We don't have to get up to his level for him to love us. And people that we meet should not have to get up to our level for us to be kind to them. There are lots of people we can be tempted to want to avoid or overlook. None of us knows anyone who's a Moabite. It's an ethnic group that doesn't exist anymore. And so it's easy to take Boaz's actions for granted. To think, yeah, I would do the same. Would you? I watch the news. We live in a world that increasingly wants us to be afraid of our own shadow, to be afraid of everything. Christmas week last year, there was a huge snowstorm out east. 106 people died. No city was hit harder than Buffalo, New York. And I remember reading an article after this had all happened. A motorist was stranded. 
He'd knocked on the door of several houses, trying to find a place to stay for the night. He had a few hundred dollars on him. He was willing to give all of his money just for shelter, and no one let him in. In a desperate situation, in what for many was a life and death situation, nobody took this man in. Eventually, he was able to break into a closed school building with some other stranded motorists and find shelter there. It's really easy to be altruistic and generous when you're not the one being asked. And it's really easy to justify not helping someone when you are asked. But as believers in Jesus, we're called to live differently than the rest of the world and to live lives that look different from the rest of the world. The generosity and hospitality that Boaz shows Ruth is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of love. It's a picture of the people we're called to care about in an apathetic world. It should be a reminder that spiritually, we are all paupers, we are all in need, and that Jesus is the one who provides. In the beginning of our time, I talked about an imprisoned man who was befriended by a juror who led him to Christ. In our passage, we see the concern that Boaz has for Ruth. And in the Gospels, we see the love and grace and mercy and goodness that Jesus shows a fallen world. We see Boaz going above and beyond Ruth's expectations in the fields. Jesus gives grace upon grace. Boaz saw Ruth in her poverty and gave to her from his abundance. Jesus sees us in our moral poverty and fallenness. He became impoverished like us. Boaz provides bread for Ruth. Jesus is the bread of life. He'd take bread and say, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Boaz allows Ruth to help herself to refreshment, to have a drink. Jesus provides living water. He would say, this cup is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. Boaz invites Ruth to join him for a meal at his table. Just as Jesus invites us to his table, he does that now in a moment as we prepare to take communion, and he does that in eternity as he invites us to join him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And at this point, if our deacons can come forward as we prepare for communion.